Welcome to John Susco's A Better Way to Divorce podcast. John Susco is a Florida family law attorney whose practice is focused on collaborative divorce and mediation. Today, John is continuing his conversation with Camille Milner, a Texas collaborative divorce attorney. And now, here's John Susco. What? Let me talk about the the atmosphere. You you do the uh, collaborative uh, meetings in a lawyer's office or a mental health office, or and how long are these meetings? They're, um, two, I'm just... they're two hours typically. Okay. Um, and the reason for that, everything we do in the collaborative process is very intentional. Uh, for example, my office is is an office building, but it's a two-story brown brick building, and from the time you walk in there's flowers out front and you walk in and there's it's it's very comfortable it's almost like a house but it's it's also a professional building and the reason for that is so many people go into this environment so stressed that anything we can do anything we can do to help lower their stress level and give them comfort is good for them not just as a human being but it also helps their ability to negotiate because when people are are panicked and fearful. They are not able to use the part of their brain that helps them think clearly. And so we want to make them comfortable in every way that we can. One of the things we do is if it's if there's a certain amount of tension when one of them comes into the office, we put one of them in a conference room and then put the other one in a different conference room. But a trick or a practice tip is when the second one comes in, we want to let them know that the other party is not in with the team already because we made that misstep once and somebody came in a little bit after the, the second party came in after the first party and they got very upset because they thought the other party was already in with the team rather than sequestered in a room all their own. Um, typically here we do have the meetings in a lawyer's office simply because a lot of our mental health professionals and financial professionals have smaller offices. So we have typically we have a conference room in the lawyer's office, but I have converted what was my lawyer's office, which was a bigger office than my little tiny closet of an office into a collaborative room. And I see all my clients and do my collaborative cases and my mediations in there. And it's, it's got a couch that's very comfortable in there. It's, uh, very quiet. Sometimes we have uh, essential oils that are being diffused just to give a little bit of uh, good feeling to the room. We always have snacks and we inquire with the lawyers and the clients about what their preference are for snacks. Sometimes people don't want sweets. Some people do. Some people like soft drinks. Some people like coffee or tea or just water whatever it takes to to make them comfortable and there's i don't know whether it's primal or biblical but there is a magic aspect to breaking bread together once you do that people seem to let their guard down and i don't mean let their guard down and make them vulnerable but let their guard down in an ability to negotiate feel comfortable enough to negotiate one time we had some people that came in and they were both pretty stressed and neither one of them would touch the food, which was to the side of the table. And then slowly one would go get a cookie or go get a piece of fruit. And then in a few minutes, the other one would. And we began to see them begin to pull the walls down and the negotiation got more comfortable and was much more productive. 
And so those are just some examples of what we do in my office to make it very comfortable. You mentioned mediation. Yes. Uh, do you do mediation also? I mean, are you your mediator? Yes. Almost everybody in our collaborative group is, our local group, and most everybody in the collaborative group in the state has been trained in mediation because the skills that you learn in that really do enhance what you can do in collaborative cases. I mean, you're, you're, talking, you're, you're talking to the choir because yeah. I was a mediator first back in the mid-80s, and yeah. I thought it was, I was thought I was going to become the McSusco of Florida mediation, yeah. but it was before, before its time. <laughs> uh, um, but uh, let, tell me a little bit of, of um, some of the cases that you have had. I mean, you, you've got some cases that stood out. We spoke about them last week. I mean, tell me a little bit about some of the cases without naming names, right. I mean, you know, tell me about what 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 you what the magic is that goes forward. Well, one of my favorites is the gray divorce, and what had happened on that was my husband, who was on the executive board of our Dallas PBS station called KERA, uh, enabled me to be on the program Think with Chris Boyd, who is sometimes nationally uh, known now. Uh, sometimes her program goes national national broadcast. Um, and I was able to talk for nearly an hour about collaborative law. I found out later that a personal injury lawyer had heard the broadcast, pulled his car over for 45 minutes to listen to it, and referred his stepmother to me. Not his father, but his stepmother, because he knew his, his stepmom and dad who were a great divorce, obviously, were, were going to be going down that path. And she came to me, and I, I told her a little bit about collaborative law and gave her a book that our practice group wrote, and she took it to her spouse. And they both decided they wanted to do it collaboratively. He had already hired uh, one of the litigators that doesn't do collaborative law, and he let that lawyer go and went and hired one of the people around town that are both collaborative and, and litigation. And it was just an incredible case. And this man was on our panel at the next spring conference for our, our state collaborative group. And he got pretty emotional when he said his first divorce had been litigation and it had been so acrimonious that his two very good children, one of whom was the one that heard this radio program, had ended up in boarding school, in military school, in fact, and that he and his ex-wife hadn't really spoken until six weeks before her death, which really made him very sad. And he said, so he knew the difference. And on his second divorce, they ended up being friends. It was just a point in time where they were retiring and they had different goals in life, and it ended very well. And so that's one of my favorites, because this is a person that did go through both. And and told about it quite emotionally. I had another one that I, th I think of with a lot of business owners. It was a small business owner, uh, and he didn't really want a business appraiser going into the offices because he uh, had competitors, and he was afraid that the people that worked in his business would get panicked about why there was somebody nosing around in the business and tell the competitors that, that there was a divorce or a business dissolution or anything that might up, upset 
his his reputation and so we we worked really hard to figure out how to do a business appraisal that was it wasn't a full business appraisal it was a little bit of a a shorthand one but it was enough to to get what we needed to know and his his other fear was that it was going to be such a high appraisal that he wouldn't be able to buy his spouse out and when it came back it was lower than he expected and so again with cooperation we were able to get the information and it, and it was a neutral business appraiser he didn't he didn't have an agenda and so that one worked out and they've both gone on to be very very successful happy people and their kids are real successful and then I had one that um, the couple had a son who eventually uh, developed a, a gaming addiction which apparently happens quite frequently now and he had to go to a rehab institution uh, in a different state and they had another child uh, that was part of the time still at home and then part of the time had left the home but they were able to as a family go and spend the holiday with this child who was in the rehab and they were their relationship was still so good that they were able to do that as a family and I thought that was remarkable and they've continued to do it they've continued to do it yeah it's it's really amazing then there was one other one that is one of my favorites that one of the parents uh, determined after years of not wanting to face being gay finally came to terms with the fact that they were um, that they were going to need to follow that path in life and their children were in just really bad shape because the parents were so in pain they still loved each other but they weren't going to be able to continue living together as husband and wife and uh, and it was just a very difficult situation in that case we had a child specialist that met with the children because the children were in distress and without without putting pressure on the children that child specialist was able to come and meet with the parents at one of our meetings and explain to them that they were in such pain themselves that they weren't able to really take care of the children in their pain and of course the parents just fell apart momentarily because they hated that that had happened but with the help of that child specialist they were then able to remove themselves from being in such depths of pain and take care of their children too and their children came through it fine and they came through it fine and we were able to craft just a perfect customized arrangement the mother was in grad school and needed to be able to go to school but she bought a house across the street from the children's elementary school so every afternoon the children came and stayed with her until bedtime and she got them fed and did their homework and got them ready for bed and then the dad who worked in Dallas and got in late would come and pick them up and take them to school the next morning uh, they'd spend the night at his house and he'd take them to school the next morning and he didn't have to be in super early when she the mom had to be in school so it really was customized perfectly to what their family needed and that's why we think both the parents and the children were able to thrive notwithstanding going in different directions as far as the family structure what what do you say to people that come in and sort of say that it's well I think you may have addressed it early the cost and all the all the professionals what 
I mean, what, what do you say to them that makes, make, makes it work? I've had, I've had lawyers come up to me and say, you know, they don't want to get a mental health person. And, and, and I, I, from my perspective, again, the mental health person is the glue with, you know, the, yes. the communications expert is the glue. And I've seen it in mediation cases, but what, what do you say to these people that, that do the cost analysis and somehow say, it's, it's too costly. Well, with clients, we unpack it a little bit. We ask them the questions, is privacy important to you? And what, rather than putting a dollar value on it, when they say privacy is important to them and they start thinking about everybody in their town knowing what's going on in their bedroom, which is what sometimes happens in court, all of a sudden privacy takes on a, a high value. The same thing with kids. What I used to say to people uh, in litigation is, if I win your case but your kid's a drug addict at 14 because of the conflict that continues between the parents, I don't consider that a win. So we unpack that a little bit. And then we talk about when you make the assessment, if you calculate the, the risk of going to court and having dueling experts on custody or on financial questions, this is almost always, well, I would say collaborative is always cheaper than when you go to court with two experts and in, in mental health questions, child custody questions, or in business appraisal questions, because that just runs the cost up. And then the lawyer's cost on top of that. I don't think people really... And, I, and frankly, I don't think lawyers that, that are doing litigation with them really break out what the range can be. It can be frightening. I, right. I, I want to talk a little bit about this. I just want to – I got your Denton County Meet Your Interest book that I've given to about four or five clients uh, in the last month and a half. And I've now got three collaborative cases where before I had three years of no collaborative cases. So I'm, I'm very happy. That's I'm amazing. Happy it sounds like you need me to bring you some more books. Well, yes, I, I, I do, you know, um, um, and I'm trying to get our local lawyers to see that, um, uh, you know, I, I have had people say to me, well, I settle most of my cases. Oh, yeah. And I say, yeah, but, but you still have something hide behind your back, you know, and, and therefore I can't trust you totally. Nor can everybody. I mean, how do you address that with other lawyers? Or, I mean, and are all the lawyers in, in Texas or do most of the lawyers in Texas at least know about collaborative? And, you know, I don't think most of the lawyers in Florida in three years since the statute was passed truly understand what collaborative is. I think that I think that's a big problem. And one of the problems that we have had is some of the lawyers that aren't trained in collaborative and maybe don't have an inclination to have an interest in it, they fear collaborative if it, it becomes successful it's gonna it's gonna impact their business negatively. There's plenty of business to go around and not everybody is a good fit for collaborative. But a lot of people there's a lot of people that are Chip Rose was my very first trainer, and he, I think, put it best when he said, yes, a lot of cases settle, but does anybody look at the quality of their settlement? 
And I think that is the fundamental question. When I do mediations, and I do mediations, but I don't prefer them over collaborative because in Texas, our model, I think yours may be a little bit a little bit more progressive than ours is, but our model in Texas is still the caucus method. The clients and their lawyers are in separate rooms. We're there until from nine to five, and you have to settle an entire case in that amount of time. Rarely does anybody go into a second day, and rarely do they do it in increments of two or three hours. Um, like we talked about before, Lots of studies show that after two hours, people get really tired and their decision making and their thought processes are not good. And I had a mediation many years ago that was with a very good friend of mine. And he had told me there was one thing that he did not want done. It had to do with the business. And at midnight, <laughs> the mediator, who was much more interested in having another notch on his belt of a successful mediation, said to my client, who's in charge here? You are little Camille over there. And my client caved on that one point, the one that he had said, never let me cave on. And I, of course, had him sign something because I knew he was going to wake up in a day and just be horrified. But he said, I just want this to stop. And that was like 30 years ago. We don't do them that late anymore. Um, but, but even nine to five, people get exhausted. Well, I, I, I remember back when I was practicing in the 90s, I, I would, after about four hours, but more on the eight-hour kind of cases, I would say, I'll give, I'll pay for it because I really don't want to do this anymore oh, yeah. because it's yeah. painful. It is. Uh, it is. And, and the lawyers are tired. The clients are tired. And there is no, like, I'm, I'm getting ready to do a mediation next week for some people. And I've, and one of the things I do is the mediator, which I think is, if not unique, it's rare, is I have spent a lot of time with each lawyer beforehand. And I have been really amazed and continue to be amazed when I do mediations at our local mediation center, how lawyers come having very little preparation in the case. And there is just no way you're going to get a quality settlement when all the work is attempted to be done in eight or nine hours. It simply cannot be done. You may be able to push this through the meat grinder, but you're not going to come out with a very good product. And in collaborative cases, we don't start negotiating until we have all the information. We spend, we spend a lot of time on the information gathering, and then we evaluate that information to make sure that everybody agrees on what the information is before we go to negotiation. Because if the pieces are continually moving around like they are in mediation, it's not going to end up being a quality settlement like it like it is in collaborative. And one of the things I don't I don't know how much your mediations end up costing there, but if you figure that the lawyers got a, a good lawyer that's somewhat prepared spends five plus hours preparing, and then they're at the mediation all that day, and then you pay the mediator. If you do that on both sides and you mediate a case, you could get a long way toward finishing a collaborative case with all the bells and whistles for the same amount. And so 
if you think about how much realistically doing a mediated case is, and you can have so much more layer of quality and discipline with the different professionals and the different disciplines, you can understand why for the same amount of money or very little more than a mediation gives you, you've got a settlement that is what we call a durable settlement. It's a settlement that not just tonight at midnight when everybody's tired, they're glad to say we settled it, but in a year or two years. Like these collaborative clients that I've told you about, and I've got dozens, um, I'll have lunch with, I still have lunch with them on a regular basis so that they can tell me what's gone on since I last saw them. They are almost all, I cannot even think of one that has ever said they wish they had gone the other direction and gone litigation or mediation. In fact, I've had a lot of people that went through litigation or mediation that regret not going through collaborative. And I had one in particular that took me out in the hall in the middle of a litigated case at a break into the, the conference room and said, I want you to promise me you will tell every client from now on I'm in the midst of litigation and if I had it to do over, I would do collaborative, no question about it. And in that case, they spent, a, at that time, I think it was one of the largest professional fees in Denton County, but it was a, a, a business and a lot of property and two business appraisers and two custody evaluation uh, professionals testifying. And it was hundreds of thousands of dollars and the family was wrecked. So even though these people had several million dollars, it wasn't worth it. And the, at the end of the day, the judge basically did 50% or cut cut the two business appraisers' evaluations in half and and split the kids in a. Uh, it, it just didn't it, going to court didn't really make it better, and it made it a lot worse in a lot of ways. I had a mediate. I, I mediated a case where there was a relocation case where one professional was going to another town across the country uh -huh. and and there was and, and I, I i'm old-fashioned i i basically bring the people in the same room for for you know you know to do the mediation at least to start and um and although the lawyers don't really like that because they they get antsy and stuff but i learned that that mom was okay with dad and also with dad's new wife and they talked and they had, they had a child who was very gifted. I mean, this child was probably 10 years old and that was like a master pianist. And, and dad was going to someplace that, um, probably has, you know, uh, international people in the, in the pianist role and they could have talked and settled it. And I, and I basically, after going through the, the case for about, about 45 minutes, I said to, to the wife, I said, you know, here's what I'd recommend. I'd recommend we call this mediation off right now and, and you get a collaborative attorney and let your, yes, she had a board certified attorney and he was willing to do that. Uh -huh. He was willing to let another attorney take it and he would stay on for litigation. And then I went to the husband and the husband, and they didn't give me anything. Again, you, they, they came in with their lawyers and a paralegal. Yeah. Each had paralegals. Okay. And they hadn't done, they hadn't exchanged anything. You know, they had not talked to each other. 
And I said, you know, you can do this. Well, the other, the other side said, you're not doing anything. I said, I know. I said, I can't do anything because I don't have anything to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but you could solve this case and they would have been able to talk to each other. Right. And they would have had, a, they spent eight hours and they, the paralegals settled it. I mean, the paralegals got it done and they paid a bunch of money. Yeah. And, you know, it was sad. Well, but you I know, mean, they could have. One of my colleagues, I'm sorry, go ahead. But they could have done it in one session. I mean, I know they could have done it in one session because they were so close. But because they they put their structures up and they needed to do it the old-fashioned way, it cost them lots of money, and they, they probably are going to be litigating it for a long time. And it's just heartbreaking. It's those kids' college funds that are getting spent on that. Well, one of my colleagues here in town and my co-trainer, who is another lawyer, says that when clients come in like that, they're this close. And once the lawyers start doing the litigation, they start getting farther and farther apart. And if we handle it correctly, we'll get them, we'll get them done. But if it's, and you're right, it's, it's the old fashioned way. The other way, uh, Chip Rose, our, our trainer from California described Where's it. Where's Chip Rose from? He's he from, well, he's actually from Santa Cruz, California, but he has now right, relocated that's... to Oregon. But okay. I think he still practices in the Santa Cruz area. And and I loved the way he put it. He said a um, couple of different things. He said, when people come in and say, what's the law? He says, why would you shoot so low? Why don't you want more than just what your rights are under the law when you can have so much more? And he said, and then the difference in what we do is, do you want chainsaw surgery or do you want arthroscopic artful surgery that will leave very little scarring and will leave the patient in good shape. And that really colors it for me or illustrates it for me best. It really is the difference. I mean, and when you've got lawyers that are very prepared and collaborative and the clients that are very prepared, what happens is the clients do the negotiating because they've become empowered and educated about what their options are and what the information is. And they make informed decisions. And those that's the reason that they are durable and they're happy with them for years ahead because they've made those decisions with very sound reasoning, not totally emotional, although emotion comes into it. But we manage the emotions, and that enables them to make good business decisions. Well, Camille, I want to thank you. I mean, we, we could talk – you and I could probably talk for a long, long time, but uh... – I think we need to cut this off at this point in time. I just want to thank you again for uh, your your time today, uh, and thank you for this book here, the Collaborative Denton County book, and also the Build the Brand, the book that you and your husband have written. Uh, I, I I use them; they're on my desk uh, every day, and I appreciate that. And I look forward to seeing you in in a couple weeks or yes. probably about three weeks, I guess, yeah. over here in Pensacola. And uh, I hope we can get some of the folks from the Okaloosa County area to come over and see you and your husband. Well, what I'd uh, like so them okay. to know is that Denton is not unlike Okaloosa County because we're a smaller county. We're we're out outside of the metropolitan area. And we have a little bit of a marbled, we're not unlike that in so many ways, we have a little bit of a marbled county. The northwest and north part of our county is still totally rural. And then the south part of our county is very metropolitan. 
And so we've had to adapt. That's why Denton's practice group, I think, is one that a lot of people look to because we are small enough that we have been forced to do some experimentation to learn how to adapt this to modest means. But that is a gift because then we're able to help a bigger range of people. So thank you for having me on your show, John. Um, it was our lucky day when we got to meet you in Chicago. Well, thank you. And again, I, I, I'm looking forward to having you at our at our uh, forum in in March. So thank you. Um, and uh, I want to. My my office has put this uh, podcast together. Um, it's it's I'm, I've been practicing for well almost 40 years, off and on. Uh, and uh, I do collaborative law, and if you have any questions, please give me a call um, or come uh, look at my, my website, and we'll go from there. Thank you very much, and thank you, and goodbye. This has been John Susco's A Better Way to Divorce podcast. John Susco is a Florida family law attorney. If you'd like to learn more about collaborative divorce or mediation, go to susco-collab-med.com or click on the link in the show notes below.